Father, this morning, once again, we come to you. And we surrender ourselves, Lord. We surrender ourselves and we lift your word. Your word says in Psalm 138, verse 2, I have exalted my word above all my name. Today, Father, we put aside everything else in our hearts and our minds. We lift your word up by faith. For in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And you told Peter that day, my word is life and spirit. Today we come once again before the word. And we pray, Father, touch us. Anoint us. Anoint our ears that we may hear. Anoint our minds that we may understand. Anoint our hearts. Our Lord, that we may believe and we may obey. For you said in your word, if you're willing and obedient, you lead the best of the land. Speak to us this morning, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. So morning, Sunday morning, it's the most difficult time for the pastor who preaches, trying to get the hearts, the minds, the soul, the attention of God's children, back to the kingdom of God. Bodies are here, but whoever has your mind, has your body. So let God have your mind. Let's go to the first verse for today, just to bring you back, recapping. Uh, Hebrews 12 and verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. That's all I want to read now. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Next verse, Hebrews 3. And verse 1, therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Colossians chapter 3, 1 and 3, 1 to 3. Since then you have been raised with Jesus Christ. Set your Heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Set your heart, set your mind, set your thoughts on Christ. Okay, on Christ. On things above and not things below. Remember, you have died to this world. And in Second Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. 18. For we fix our eyes on what is not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For whatever is seen is, do you believe it? Then live like that. Whatever you see with these physical faculties which God has given us is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. So let's come back to the kingdom of God. Let me quickly recap for five minutes what we saw on uh, the previous weeks and on Wednesday too. Let us remember the three stages in anybody's life, believer or unbeliever. But we are talking in terms of people who are within the kingdom of God. The first stage where God says, okay, I will consider it, is a stage of ignorance. 
Okay, remember in the book of Acts, Wednesday, the seasons of ignorance God has winked at. But now he tells everybody to repent and turn. Okay, so ignorance. But ignorance is a killer in this world, in the kingdom of God. In this world, ignorance actually can be very, very dangerous. You lose in this life, in this worldly life. Even more in the kingdom of God, ignorance, the lack of knowledge of God, of his kingdom. The second stage is you have knowledge, but you don't believe. You don't believe. It's not that you do not know. You know, but you don't believe. And that stage is called unbelief. And scripture says in the book of Hebrews, God in his wrath, he swore, you will not enter into my rest because of a heart of unbelief. He said everything he did for Israel, the first generation of Israelites, they still would question God's goodness and his power. And he got, they would keep saying, you have to read Psalm 78 to understand the context in which God is speaking. He says, can God, can God, can God, unbelief. From ignorance to knowledge, it should lead to belief. And the third stage from unbelief, the most dangerous stage is what? Rebellion is a stage of rebellion. And that's what happened to Saul. Okay, and God through Samuel says, rebellion is like the sinner witchcraft. When you go to the rebellious state, what happens? The demonic has control over you. Okay, the demonic has control over you. So you have to be very, very careful. Unbelief to rebellion. Be very careful. When rebellion comes in, the demonic has. So you will see those like Saul or Absalom dying by the sword because they moved into unbelief. So in Isaiah 5 and verse 13, God says, Therefore my people have gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. Now this is talking about the knowledge of the kingdom of God. The word of God is basically about God and the knowledge of God. In Hosea 4 and verse 16, scripture says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge. The proclamation of the gospel is the proclamation of the kingdom of God. It's the knowledge of the kingdom of God. We have not come here to learn how to do well in the world. We have come here to know about God and our eternal destiny. How to make sure our salvation. How to receive a rich welcome as Peter will put on that day. If you die or the trumpet blows, whichever. Everybody is waiting. I hope you are for that day. Because everything in the Bible is connected with the coming of the kingdom of God. The coming of the king of glory. And nothing is about this world. In the new covenant, everything is about the kingdom of God, especially in the new covenant. We are just aliens and strangers passing through, pilgrims passing through this world. But the challenge to the believer is therefore how to live in this world and yet keep his eyes, his mind, his thoughts, his heart on the king and the kingdom. Live in the scene, but keep your heart on the unseen. That is the challenge. And that's why the entire Bible almost, if you look at it, is connected. The writers of the Bible will talk about in the old and the new, everything is connected to the day of judgment. The day, the day, the day of Christ, the day of judgment. Throughout, the entire narrative is about that. All of you kids sitting here who are studying. Yes, you go to school, you study, you do your homework, but you all know there is a day coming, which is called your final exam. It's coming. 
unlike that exam, this, when that day comes, there is no supplementary exams. There is no makeup exams. It's nothing you can do. That's why, like in English, you say there are only two things that are sure in life. One is taxes and the other is death. And the book of Hebrews says, it is appointed unto every man to die once, and then it is, and living by faith, living with our eyes on the unseen is basically living in the light of judgment. Not in fear for believers, but in preparation. We're looking forward. Every day, therefore, is a gift. Those kids who were not prepared for the exam, and when the newspaper says exams has been postponed, how thrilled they are. So nobody is actually prepared. Nobody is actually really, truly prepared, at least in this room. I am not. Okay, even writing the letter of Philippians, Paul is not. It's only in Second Timothy at the end of his life is absolutely sure. Okay, meaning not that he's not ready to die. He's not very sure what he's going to receive over there. It's not that about being being ready to die and be absolutely sure about your crown are two different things. These are two different things. Okay, so remember, everything is coming. That's why the gospel call starting from John the Baptist onwards is repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. It's very near. It's very near. That's the call. And Jesus picks up after John. Repent. And apostles, when he sent them, he told them, go and preach what? Repentance is a, it has to be. I will always tell you, don't make this so-so repentance. Let it be radical. Let your repentance be that 180 degrees radical. You know what? You can save a lot of time. Trying to make up in the kingdom of God. Radical. Let your repentance be radical. And Jesus used to go around and he used to do all the signs he did, the miracles and the power manifestation was all to prove to the people that the kingdom of God that is coming is absolutely real. Therefore, repent. Not that people should run after miracles, but to show the power of the kingdom. This kingdom that is coming is real. It is powerful. Therefore, repent and get in. Look at him speaking at Bethsaida in one of his messages in Matthew 11, verses 20. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done. Because they did not repent. Because they did not repent. All his mighty works were done in this city. And he rebuked them. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, wicked Gentile cities. He says, if this had been done there, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. And we, tr- we know it is true. You have the entire narrative in the Old Testament. Prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet going to Israel, getting beaten up, getting killed, getting thrown into prison. And the people turning their backs to these prophets. Yet when Jonah goes to Nineveh and preaches, the entire town from the king to the last man repents. That's what God is talking about. That's what God is talking about. He says, Jesus is saying, if I had done this, there, they would have repented. And next, but I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to the heaven, will be brought down to Hades. That is hell. Boy, I don't want Jesus prophesying like that over any city. You know what? You're going down to hell, Capernaum. Scary, okay? Where he did his miracles and did his preaching. We'll be down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in 
He said, if I had done what I did in you in Sodom, Sodom would have remained to this day. I would, not, I would not have had to burn it with fire that day. Understand the reality of the gospel. Understand the reality of the kingdom. But what he's saying here is that, but I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. They were punished. They were exterminated from the land of the living, the physical, material land. But judgment hasn't been passed yet. They're all waiting for the day of judgment. Understand that. From Adam onwards to the last man, nobody has been judged yet. Judgment is waiting. And God says, repent. This was the constant refrain in Jesus' ministry. And therefore, this was the constant tension also in the ministry that is generated by Jesus. Because nobody likes that word. Look at another incident in Luke 13, verses 1 to 5. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now, when somebody dies while worshipping, we want to make them into a martyr. Okay, so they were trying, thinking, elicit some sympathy out of Jesus and said, do you know the Galileans were worshipping and you know what? They were offering probably a blood sacrifice and Pilate killed them and mixed their blood with the blood sacrifice. Jesus answered and said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they're all worse sinners than all the other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus wasn't like modern day preachers. He was the kindest man on earth and the toughest preacher you could hear. Because he knew the reality of the kingdom that is coming. That's why he said, the gate is straight. Narrow is the way. And very few will find that way to life. Yet broad is the way to destruction. And his servants cannot make that narrow way broad. Then he gave this parable. This is interesting. In verse 6. He also spoke this parable because he always tried to teach through parables. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, look for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he said and answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize. If it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that you can cut it down. You know, Charles Swindle calls this parable, in this parable he calls the vineyard owner as justice. And the vineyard keeper has mercy. Justice comes and tells to mercy, let's cut it down. Mercy said, please sir, one more year. So justice is God. Mercy is Jesus. One more year. If you look at verse 8, it's a warning. He says, the tree is taking a place with no growth, no fruit. It's occupying a chair in the church with no change. That's exactly what he's meaning. It's taking up space. It's taking up the kingdom money. It's taking up the kingdom resources. And he says, it's producing nothing. It's producing nothing. The whole earth belongs to the Lord. The cattle on the thousand hills are his. This doesn't belong to governments. This belongs to him. Every grain that we eat belongs to him. He owns the earth. 
He's just taking up space and eating up the resources. It's not producing anything. That's what he's saying. The keeper says, give it a little more time. That is called grace, extended grace. Let's extend grace. If it bears fruit, he says, okay, I will fourth year, I will work a little more around it. I'll give it more attention. Dig around it. Fertilize it a little more. Maybe two more extra Bible studies. And the Holy Ghost meeting also. And if it bears fruit, well, if not, God says, there is nothing called unlimited mercy or unlimited grace. There's a limit to that too. That's what he's saying. He says, don't play the waiting game. Incredibly, the parable is left open-ended. Did it bear fruit or was it cut down? But it's basically talking about every individual life. It is not that he comes and kills you. It's that his spirit leaves. Spirit has left most churches. Let me tell you the honesty. I've told you. There are churches where God has told me very clearly you will never go and preach because I have left. Why are you going? It's already left. Religion is going on. All activities are going on. But God has left. Three years. Four years. Grow. God is saying, bring forth fruit. Show proof that you are really serious about this kingdom. In First Peter chapter 2, verse 2, like newborn babies, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow. Grow. I always tell you, you really want to grow, this is the key. And you don't are not hungry for the word of God, you don't tell me what else you do. It makes no difference in the kingdom of God. Your primary response to the word of God will determine your eternal destiny. And to those who are newborn, just came to the Lord, just came to the Lord, Peter is saying, you're newborn, just born again. Crave, desire the pure word of God that you may grow thereby. In Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You cannot grow in grace Unless you grow in truth, in the knowledge of God. Grow in grace. And grow in the knowledge of God. Because grace is the power of the Holy Spirit. But you don't grow in grace unless you grow in the kingdom of God. A lot of people are running with the grace they received years ago. They haven't grown spiritually as persons. And the kingdom of God demands that. Demands that. Unless there is a personal shift in us that is radical, we'll be caught in time like that fig tree. Just caught. There has to be this radical change. Because if it took God, that's what I told the Nepali church, if it took God this much to save you and me, shouldn't our response be radical? Look at what God did to save a human being. And what is the human being's response to that act of God? You have to ask yourself, look in the mirror and say, Lord, what is my response to the gospel? What did it cost you to save me? Don't say save us, save me. 
and what is my response? We have to grow. He comes to every fig tree and says, have you grown? Have you brought something for the kingdom? That's the proof you are planted in the house of God. Let's go to John's epistle and see about growth and how you read it. No, long time ago, I think I taught on this or in the pastor's conference. 1 John. I write to you little children. Please let me tell you, this letter is not written to little children. This is written by Apostle John to the church. But he divides everybody within the kingdom of God into three spiritual categories. This is not written to Sunday school. This is written to people in the church. Those spiritually are little children and spiritually are youth and spiritually who have matured and have become fathers. This has got nothing to do with your physical age. It has got to do with your spiritual maturity. How you are functioning in the kingdom. I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you little children because you have known the father. So first verse, three categories are mentioned. And you will see children only know one thing. What is that? Sorry. Sorry, Papa. Sorry. That's all they know. Sin, repent. Sin, repent. It's a circle. Sin, repent. That's all they know, forgiveness of sins. Little children. What do they know their father has? The one who says, okay. Sin, repent. But when it comes to the fathers, you have known him, not like the children. You have known him who is from the beginning. You know him. You know he's a God who does not change. God is good all the time. But also scripture says, consider the kindness and the severity of God. Kindness, severity upon those who fell and kindness upon those who stand. Only if you continue in his kindness. That's Romans eleven twenty-two. Understand that. So they have known him from the beginning. That the God of Genesis is the God of Revelation. He has never changed. He's the same God. They have known him from the beginning. And they have grown in their knowledge of him. Fathers. And when it's come to the young one. He says you young ones. You have overcome the evil one. Why have you overcome the evil one? Because you have known him. Yeah. Because you are strong. Young men. Because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you. You have overcome the evil one. So to move from a stage of a child to a young person in the Lord spiritually, God says, it's no way it's possible unless you, the word of God abides in you. There's no other way. You have to overcome. He says, you have to overcome the enemies that are there outside and inside. You have to overcome. And he says, there is only one thing. It is the word of God. What distinguishes a baby from a young man? Efficiency. Let's go to the next one. Go to 5.12. Hebrews uh, 5.12. But though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and you have come to need milk and not solid food. Babies drink milk. You don't eat meat. Meaning, how do you know you are a baby? Because you have to be taught what is taught in elementary, primary class. And what is primary class in the kingdom of God? Tell me. Repentance from? Dead works? Faith towards? Doctrine of? Laying of? Resurrection of? And eternal? But do you know what it means? This is just title heading. 
the chapters follow. That is the oracles, the first principles of the oracles of God. And I'm telling you honestly, in the last year, 1918, of all the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pastors I minister to, most of them do not know the oracles of God. Now, how do the congregation know? How will the congregation know? This is the first thing. The babes are fed this first. Repentance from dead works and turn to God. A 180 degree from the world towards God and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on the cross alone. And then begins the doctrine of baptism. Go underwater, come out, dead to this world, alive to Christ. And the other baptisms that follow. And the laying of hands so that you receive a gift which you can be useful in the kingdom of God. And then there is a resurrection of the dead. And then there is eternal judgment. This is fundamental, basic. And then scripture says, do you know? These are babies. That was the problem with the Corinthian church. You look at the first Corinthian church. It was a baby church. Full of gifts. Absolute squabbles. Total sin. Okay, okay. that's what Paul writes and says, there is sin among you which is not even mentioned among the Gentiles. When babies fight, have you not? They will scratch each other out. So you fight like even adults don't fight. They at least wait for you to get up. That's the Corinthian church. Why? Full of conflict and sin because they have a total lack of the knowledge of God, the ways of God. And the whole letter of 1 Corinthians is written to spirit-filled infants. Not spirit-less infants. Spirit-filled infants who operate in gifts. That's because they had no knowledge of the kingdom of God. They had no discernment. And because of lack of discernment, the incredible thing that is happening in their midst, they are partaking of communion in the church without discerning and people are dying in the church at the table of life. He says, many of you are asleep, weak, sick or dead. Lack of knowledge did not change the consequences. That's why I said ignorance is a killer. This is the table that should bring you life. But people are dying. This should bring awakening in you. People are falling spiritually asleep. This is should, that should bring health. They are becoming sick. Why? Lack of knowledge. Because the kingdom of God is established on God's laws. That is his righteousness. That's what the book of Hebrews is. This chapter was actually talking about. So many of you should have been teachers by now, but you're still drinking milk. Hebrews 5 and verse 13. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he is a baby. It's a baby. doesn't matter how old you are, maybe 50 years old, but a baby. Because all you know is forgiveness of sins. And nothing else. Not acquainted with the teaching of righteousness. Not acquainted. That's verse 14. Can I have verse 14 too? But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. 
Anyway, when we were born, we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity because our great-grandfather and grandmother ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now we are born again by the word of God. As we grow in it, we are able to discern between what is good and evil. So we partake only of good and avoid the evil. That's what he's talking about. Otherwise, what babies will do in the Christ, they will partake of both. And he said, no, you have been saved from that. So he says, it's imperative that we grow because there is a righteousness that comes only by faith. Only by faith. What Roman 117 says, there is a righteousness that comes only. Can I have it for in it? That's the gospel. Is the righteousness of God is revealed from, the problem is people don't read scripture often carefully. It is revealed from faith to faith. Meaning there is the righteousness of God that will come to into our lives only by faith. And that has to be the beginning and the end of our life. That's why Hebrews 12 says he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. And he says, my righteous shall live by faith. And for a baby to grow, the baby needs the milk of the word of God. And the baby suddenly is able to discern this is evil, this is good. But the problem is the baby doesn't have the power to make those choices. We don't have the power to change. The power is supplied by God. What is that called? It's called grace. Look at Hebrews, uh, Romans chapter 5. And verse 2. Or 1. Whichever one. Yeah. Give it to him. Uh, through whom, that is Jesus, also we have access by faith into this grace. Remember the message, access granted? What is faith for? Faith is through which we receive grace. We receive grace to be able to stand with God. Stand in victory. Stand overcoming. Let's go back to 1 John 2, 13 and 14. For a baby to become a young man. For a baby to become a young man. What is that? You need the word of God to abide in you. So that you can overcome the evil one. You have to win your flesh. You have to win win over the world. You have to defeat the powers of darkness. And the thing is that as you grow in the word, you will only understand how they actually operate and how subtle they are. Let's let's give, let me use a little example about the knowledge of the word of God, how God's kingdom functions. Like because so many children in this past one week was baptized in the Holy Spirit with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues. Now please let me explain to you what it means. If this is me, and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I overflow. But need to realize, I was only filled this much. I was not filled this much. So many people get overflow very fast because already they're full. Not of God, of other things. So there was only very little space to be filled. So this filling of the Holy Ghost is a continuous process so that as you grow in the word, you are emptying yourself of self and the Holy Spirit fills you more and more and more. Okay, so thing is that you have to understand, excited about receiving it, but also value it and see that you grow in it. Value in it and grow because it's a gift, it's an incredible gift. But most people don't even understand how to use that gift. Let's look at First Corinthians chapter 14, where it talks about that gift. Church, 
gave 14 first Corinthians because this is all happening in the Corinthian church, which is the baby church. All infants fighting, okay? He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So when you speak in tongues, edify, it is from that word in English, you get the term edifice, which means building. So let us use the term instead of edifies, build. He who speaks in a tongue builds himself. He who prophesies builds the church. Preaching is a form of prophecy. When you are speaking in tongues, what are you doing? You are edifying yourself. You're not edifying somebody else, unless there is interpretation. That's a different kind of tongues. You're edifying yourself. But the problem here is this. Let's look at what actually happens when you pray in tongues. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mystery. To even him, it is a mystery. Unless there is interpretation. It's a mystery what you are saying. Interestingly, God keeps it a mystery. For most people who speak in tongues, most of the time he doesn't give the interpretation. Because he knows us so well that if he gives us, we won't pray in tongues. I'll tell you why. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 14. And listen to Paul, okay? If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. The next verses, 18 to 21. I thank my God. I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. He says, when you come to understanding the tongues, how it operates, don't be a child. Be mature and use it very profitably. However, in malice, be babes. When it comes to evil, be baby. When it comes to understanding, be mature. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to these people. Yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. You need to understand. Let us say, uh, okay, Samir is there. Let us say I am building a wall here, okay? I got the bricks and I put 100 bricks, worked the whole day, set, brought the wall up this thing. And I went home, went to sleep. Next day when I come home, Samir has come and removed those 100 bricks. Again, I start the work and put it all up and I go back home. He again comes. Did I build anything? I didn't build anything. That's what most people's tongues are. Because they haven't grown in the understanding and the knowledge of the living God. In their understanding, they're constantly against the will of God. Talking junk, talking stuff which has got nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Absolute conversation which has got to do with the world. And then when they pray in tongues, most of the time the Holy Spirit is actually changing what they have done. You're not building. You're only demolishing what you build with your understanding. The Holy Spirit is actually confessing on your behalf. Father, don't answer a single prayer of this person. It is not according to your will. What a waste of a gift. What a waste of a gift. That's what God is talking about. Every gift is the most valuable thing which God has given. Let's supposing God gives me the gift of prophecy and every time the prophecy is coming and it's only to chastise you, say, you are sinning, you are sinning, you are sinning. What a waste of a gift. Because if you were not sinning, I would be using the prophecy to encourage you and show this is what the Lord is saying, this is what the Lord is saying. You see the difference? That's what God is talking about. We received a gift, but grow, be mature in it, grow in the kingdom of God and understand this is not to discourage, but to channel it that your gift becomes a blessing. 
Incredible blessing. Not just to you. You become a blessing to the kingdom of God. Look at Romans chapter 8. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So the Spirit is now praying through us in the Spirit, in this heavenly language. What happens? Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Because he makes intercession for the saints according to the... Ah. When the Holy Spirit prays through you and me through a tongue, he will pray only according to the will of the Father. He will never pray against the will of the Father. So look at the Corinthian church, all filled with the Holy Spirit, all speak in tongues. One fellow is living with his stepmother and praying in tongues. What do you think is happening in his tongues? Father, glorify my relationship. Fighting. I am this group. I am with this deacon. I am with Cephas. I am with Paul. You think, and they are all praying in tongues. But when the Holy Spirit prays through you, with groanings that cannot be uttered. Why? (laughs) Because he's groaning for us. Because we are not doing what the kingdom is supposed to do. Therefore God says, grow. And what is the will of God? First will of God for myself, I have to edify myself. Because scripture says, he who prays in tongues edifies himself. Second Thessalonians, it tells you. For this is the will of God. Holy Spirit prays, intercedes according to the will of God. Personal will of God for everybody is your sanctification. It's your sanctification. Flee sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessels in sanctification and in honor. This is the will of God. And then... Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one should take advantage and defraud his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness but in holiness. Therefore he who rejects this does not reject man but God who has also given his Holy Spirit. Did you see suddenly how the tone changes? This is, he says, the will of God. And the Holy Spirit intercedes to sanctify us as a vessel of honor, to make us a holy, clean vessel in the Father's honor. So understand, so what I am saying is, if you cooperate with the knowledge of God, with understanding what is the will of God, your gift becomes more powerful. Otherwise, it's building the wall in the night, um, in the day, and bringing it down. Every day it is the same. It's like the children of Israel. Isn't that, that's not what God says as a symbol to us in 1 Corinthians 10, doesn't it? says they were all baptized with Moses in the water, and they were baptized in Moses with the cloud. They all ate the same manna. They all drank from the same rock, but God was not pleased with most of them. And they were destroyed in the desert. Why? Typically, they were also baptized in water, baptized in the spirit. But what was their entire 40-year life going around in circles? Going around in circles. Because they could never get out of that frame mind. And that's what God is talking about. Understanding how the kingdom of God works. And why is all this given? What is the purpose? But if you are emptied by the truth. Meaning, you hear, like I said on that day, every day is repentance from dead works and faith towards God. As you grow, you will realize, hey, that was okay then because I did not know. That is not okay now because God says, no, you leave it and you move. What happens? You are emptied and the Holy Spirit is able to fill you even more. That's how Jesus was filled. How, is, how was Jesus filled? What does scripture say in John three thirty four? 
for whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the spirit by measure. He was filled without measure. Why? There was absolutely nothing of the world in him, nothing of the self in him. So he was full of the word and full of the spirit. That's what scripture says. He came full of truth and full of grace. And he said, that is the pattern I have said before you. Be filled with my word, you will be filled with my spirit too. Then it will work. Otherwise, fill with the spirit with no word, you'll be like the Corinthian church. Fighting all the time and dying at the communion table. That's the story of the Corinthian church. That's why that letter is written to actually talk to people, teach the churches down the 2000 years. And therefore God says, be sanctified. Holy Spirit sanctifies you. This is the will of God. And how are we sanctified? John 17, 17. Read together. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The word works only when we receive it. And act on it. When we repent and turn in faith towards God. Receive it. The word of God sanctifies us. Sanctify means set apart for a holy use. That's what the word of God does. And the Holy Spirit does. That's where faith comes. True faith comes. That's where. Because the issue now. The struggle the 21st century. I call it the Laodicean church faces. Is because they have turned the object of your faith. Faith is no longer about God. Or his kingdom. It is about self and about this world. And where does faith come? Faith comes from? Faith comes from? It doesn't come from reading. You have to see the joy on their faces when I told all those construction workers. Now, how much is it? 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 I said, I said, And they said, ah, sun sakte, sun sakte. Can you imagine if it is written in the word of God? Faith comes from studying. Half the world cannot read. 900 million of the 1 billion Muslims don't read. They can't read even their own scripture. But our God in his graciousness, in his loving kindness said, faith comes from and for thousands of years, a believer did not have a copy of the Bible. Yet faith comes from hearing. That's the first thing, hearing. That's the first thing. It didn't say faith comes from reading. Yes, we have to read. We have to meditate. But we have to hear the voice of the Lord. And hearing doesn't just come like that. Even in the physical, we know that. Why did we put up certain fans in the hall? Because they are creaking. It will affect your hearing. That sound affects the hearing of the preaching. Why are you not sitting in the standing in the road and listening? Because you know you cannot hear properly what is being preached here if you stand in the road. So what did we do? We have come inside an enclosure, shut out all the other sounds, and then we are concentrating over here with this investment so that we can hear better. That's primarily the reason why scripture says God led Israel into the wilderness to shut the voices of the world so they could hear the voice of God. Because to hear the voice of God, there are practical things in the physical you and I need to do. There is a separation. Because there are too many voices. And so many of those voices sometimes sound similar. Remember, they went into the desert and they had no water and they took that water and the water was so bitter. Mara, before they reached Elam, remember? Look at God's response. 
what he actually said over there in Exodus 15. So he cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made a statute and an ordinance for them and there he tested them. Now listen to carefully what God is saying to them there. He says, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on which I have brought on the Egyptians. I am the Lord that healeth thee. We use part of Exodus 15, 26 when we pray, but we don't look at the rest. He says, if you listen, if you heed, if you listen, you heed. Most of the sicknesses which you, you are inviting it yourself. If you listen and if you obey, you don't have to go through these diseases. They come from a disease-plagued nation because of the ten plagues. Jesus, you saw the diseases, right? He said, you listen to me. You hearken. You diligently hear the voice of the Lord your God. Listen. He's telling the Israel, the church in the wilderness, will you listen? Most of the problems you go through in life can be avoided. Then the problems which you will face is because of righteousness sake and you can rejoice and be exceedingly glad knowing that that problem will bring a crown over there. If you will, you listen. He says, listen. If only you will hear my voice. Hear my voice. That's where it begins. Hear my voice. When you has the great chapter about blessing and curses in Deuteronomy 28, listen what he says in the two verses. Now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord. There is a voice that speaks. The problem is people will... You think when God gave the book of Leviticus and told people not to eat this and not to eat that, he changed it later. Immediately they will take Peter's vision of that thing and kill and eat. That has got nothing to do with this. When if he said certain things don't eat, it is good not to eat those things because you can offer your body for a longer and healthier service for the Lord. First you have to realize where you are looking at in the world of eating pig or serving the Lord. Unless your focus changes. Unless your focus changes. Now what has happened is it's all pesticides and processed food with all kind of stuff. So in Mark 16 he says even if you eat poison, it will not harm you. Why? Because you are not looking into the world. Your face is towards the king and the kingdom. And you have surrendered your life and your body for him. That's what scripture says. Food for the stomach, stomach for the food. Both will be. But body for the Lord. The Lord for the body. Focus has to change. Our entire way we look at life has to change. Because this is the gospel of the kingdom of God. This is the gospel of the kingdom of Kingdom of God. That's what God is saying. Ramba Romans 10. Faith comes from? Faith comes from? And hearing? Faith doesn't come from just reading the word of God. When you read the word of God, you need to be searching the person who wrote the word. That's why the Pharisees could never hear. Though Jesus spoke to them. And then when he rose again, he told them, doesn't the whole scripture talk about me? And you still don't believe? Because most people don't read scripture to know God. Most people sadly read scripture either as a part of the religious devotions or looking for a solution to a problem. 
They don't read scripture to hear from God. And God says, did you know that? That the very purpose of preaching actually is that we may hear the voice of God. The question is, if you do not hear, how will you believe? Can we go to verse 13 onwards? Let us, let us read from verse 13. Yeah. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And? Yeah. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, who has believed our report? So it's all a part. See, my job finishes after I have spoken. Only thing I have to be careful, I do my homework, that I speak the full counsel of God. But after I have spoken, it's your business. Whether you believe or not. I am only accountable for what I have heard and believed. That is why God does this mass migration in this 21st century. From the close nations of the world, like you have to see in Hong Kong and Singapore and Middle East and all. From all these nations where gospel is not allowed to be preached, people are coming to work and they hear the gospel. And they hear the gospel not from the high and mighty, from the simple fellows. And they believe. Because God is not looking at your income and salary and salary statement. He's saying, how can I save a soul? What will it take me to save a village? He causes a man to leave his village 5,000 miles away for a construction, back-breaking, back-breaking job so that this man will hear the gospel to another man who has found God. And this man gets saved and goes back to his village and speaks the word. And we all, that's what I told them. You think you all came here to work and make money? I said, no. He was supernaturally moved by God because his, everyone needs an opportunity to hear the word of God. Because faith comes from hearing. Hearing by the word of God. So please, don't turn your face and your eyes towards the world. You will miss your purpose, even if you are saved. So everything in the Bible is tuned towards to hearing. And hearing is not easy. In the book of Revelation, if I'm right, for seven times I know to the seven churches and I think a couple of more times he says, all those who have ears, let them. You mean people don't have ears? But they don't hear. Hearing is a discipline. And we in our church have heard it over and over and over again. Just because you sit for two hours, that doesn't mean you hear. No. That's where it begins. Right? With Jesus it begins that way. Morning by morning, you awakened me and you gave me the tongue of the instructed. A word that would lift the weary reason. You opened my ears. That's what the father began with Jesus. As a young man, the Holy Spirit came and opened his ears and he received instruction. Therefore, he's able to at 30 step forward and speak the word of God because the ears were open to listen first. When you see him at the age of 12 sitting at the temple with his mother's parents, earthly parents had lost him and his heavenly father had found him. Remember at 12? At the temple was the first thing written. He was sitting there and listening and asking questions. We who have taught in classrooms knows very well. Students who don't listen never have questions. And students who listen always will have questions. He was listening and asking questions of the scribes. That's what God is talking about. Are we listening? And it is not easy. 
Scripture says in Deuteronomy verse 8 chapter 2, and he led them into the wilderness. He humbled them, caused them to hunger, and fed them with manna to test their hearts. What is the response? That man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Would you learn to hear me? Because believing, obeying is two, three. Step one is what? If you can't hear, how will you? That's what Deuteronomy 8.2 says. The whole purpose of the wilderness journey was to empty them out of Egypt. You say in English, in English you have a, we have a saying which says, you can take a horse to the, but you cannot. Yeah. You can bring Mowgli out of the jungle, but you cannot take the. Uh, that's what happened with the first generation. He brought them out of Egypt, but he could not take Egypt out of them. Couldn't get Egypt out of them. Because their mind was full of Egypt, they could not hear the voice of God. And they did not believe the voice they heard. And they kept on their unbelief and finally they rebelled. The tenth time God said, enough. Okay, katam. Now you go around. I have also lost my patience. Because if, how do you know you have heard? Let me ask you, how do you know you have heard the voice of God? Check your prayer life, you will know whether you have heard or not. What was Israel asking? Israel was asking only material, physical needs. That's how you know whether you have heard or not. They never saw the unseen. They never saw the spiritual reality. All the needs was, oh we are tired of this manna, we want cucumber, we want leeks, oh when who will give us meat? All was connected with the physical. And therefore you know they had not heard the voice of God. Because a man or a woman who has heard the voice of God and understands this God, his prayer life will change. His prayer life will change. That's what, no? Psalm 106 verse 15. You look at it. The wilderness itself does not change you. He can take you to the wilderness, turn this off, try to feed you with the word, that you listen to the word, and your faith comes, and your life starts changing. My God, you are the God of heaven and earth. What am I worried about all these things? Isn't that what he said? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be. You don't have to worry about these things. It shall be all added unto you. What does he say? He gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. That was not the purpose in the wilderness. He fed them with the best food, the food of angels. There was none weak among them, none ill among them. Their clothes never wore off, their feet never swelled, their feet, shoes never wore off. But if you look into their soul, they were all weak. Why? They never heard the voice of God. They never believed. That was not what it was supposed to be. Look at another man in the new covenant, what scripture talks about when he was led into the wilderness. If, it, if I'm right, it's Luke chapter 1 and verse 80. He is also sent into the wilderness and see what the wilderness did to him. 180, 80, not 18, 180. So the child grew and became strong in the, and was in the desert till the day he was revealed. He is also in the wilderness. He is also in the desert. But what has happened? He has grown strong in the spirit while another set of people had leanness in their soul. And he learned to hear the voice of God and only the voice of God. And when at 30 he comes out of the desert, when he speaks, it's the total unadulterated word of God and crowds are stunned. Repent for the kingdom of God is here. 
So you can be in the wilderness. Believe the word of God. Listen to the word of God. And you can come out strong in the spirit. Which is spiritual examples which God is giving us. To say that this is the purpose. This is the purpose. So we have to hear. We have to hear. If you don't hear, then you cannot go forward. Faith comes from? Faith comes from? First two men, uh, man and woman, Adam and Eve, did not need faith to hear because they saw him face to face. Still they did not believe what he said and obey. So the next generation is where this journey begins. Abel and Cain. And the first one to hear is Abel. When the time for offerings came, scripture says, by faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. By faith. By faith. He heard. And scripture says in Genesis 4, he brought, Cain offered, brought fruits from his field or whatever, produced from his field. Cain brought the firstlings. The first one. You can only offer your first by faith. When God says, seek ye first the kingdom of God is simply because everything else you can offer by faith. Only the first can be offered by. So if you haven't put God first, you haven't served him at all. You cannot put him second. Because you already kept the first for yourself. It's not possible and it doesn't please God. The first portion of your time, the best portion of your life, the best portion of whatever it is, you by faith put God first. And Abel began. And God was pleased with this. Okay, his brother killed him, but God was pleased with him. And the second one was Enoch. You see, we passed with you and I were discussing in the church office yesterday. Look at Jude 1 verse 14. Then you will understand. And now Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints. The first man to hear and speak the word of God is Enoch. Seven generations later, only God could find a man who could speak his word. Seven generations. It took God to find a man who could speak his word. He's the first man to speak about what God has spoken to him. Jude records about Enoch. Why? Because he didn't walk with the world. He walked with God. That's his only testament. Six verses in the entire Old and New Testament. Seven verses. Enoch walked with God and he spoke what God told him. This is a rhetorical question we had. Why did it take God, Adam, down to all the way? My gosh, you had to wait till Moses came before we could have the first five books of the Bible. And Moses down caught in time is writing from creation. Why did God have to wait so long before he could get a man who could hear and speak what he has spoken? Because it takes so much to prepare a man who will speak God's word. Unadulterated. And I will tell you why. Because I will tell you, these are the things which we as pastors sit and discuss. I tell Pastor Vijay that when we grow older in the Lord, not grow older, everybody grows old, everybody doesn't get older in the Lord. It's only when you grow older in the Lord, you really start understanding the ways of God. Understanding God. And you are able to discern. The problem is, most of the people till Moses, when they grew older, instead of growing better with God, they compromised. 
They compromised. So God couldn't use them to write scripture. In Psalm 12 and verse 6, this is what scripture says. The words of the Lord are pure words like silver tried in a furnace of earth. Purified seven times. Let me tell you, the word of God is pure. The word of God is never purified seven times. The man of God has to be purified seven times before the word of God will come from his mouth pure. It's not the word of God that is pure. But we see it as pure because that man has been put in the furnace. Isn't that what he finally says in the book of Malachi? He will come like a fire, like the launderer's soap, and then he will cleanse you, and then you will be able to, as true Levites, bring your offering. It's a man of God. It's interesting, I just did a study. Okay, just look at Genesis 9, verses 20 to 21. And Noah began to be a farmer. He planted a vineyard, then he drank of the wine, and he was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. How old is he? 600. 601, 602. Let's give him 600. Okay, that's when the flood took place. Flood is over. He's outside. New creation. What is his wonderful great act? Planted a vineyard. Got drunk. Messed up his generation. One generation at least. Now look at the next verse. Verse 28. Yeah. Genesis 9 and verse 28. It's an interesting verse. Only if you read it in context. Okay. Noah lived. How many years after the flood? 300. What did he do? 350 years. Can you think about a man's life? 350 years of his life. There is absolutely nothing written about his life. The best years of his life when he should have written the first book of the Bible. How God created. God couldn't use it. Because compromised with wine. After the flood. He lived 950 years. Compromised. Gone. Just look at Genesis chapter 23 and verse 1. Sarah lived. If Sarah lived 127 years and died, how old is Abraham? Simple maths. Children. 137. How old, how, at what age did Abraham die? 175. So how many more years did he live? 38 years. Okay. Do we have the screen over there? Abraham's final ministry. Genesis 5 verses 1 to 4. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of his age. Abraham again took a... This is his final ministry. 28 years he lived after she died. He took another wife and look at the rest. She bore him Zimran, Zokshan, Medan, Median, Ishbak, Shua. This will become six other nations who will become the enemies of Israel one day. This is his final year's ministry. Can you use this man to write the Bible? Don't look at people's, I'm not saying they were all righteous men, okay? But they did not finish well. In the race, only one thing finally matters, how you finish. Then Jacob, Isaac, remember Isaac, Genesis 35, verses 27 to 29. This is the sum years of Abraham's life, 175, yeah, the other one which I gave you, 35. You know all about Isaac, right? Became old, eyes are blind, and he says, Esau, 
मुझे कुछ क्या पसंद है चिकन बीफ ऑल दिस पसंद है ना आई लाइक मीट यू कुक मी द वे आई वॉन्ट एंड आई वॉन्ट गिव यू माई ब्लेसिंग डिड यू आई How many more years did he live? If you actually calculate another 42 years or 50 years more, he lived. Listen to what it is written about Isaac. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre. Where is he coming back from? After all those years with Laban and two wives and two concubines and all these children, he's come back. Rebecca is dead because she brought it upon herself. And what the scripture says: Now the days of Isaac were 128 years. In verse 29, Isaac breathed his last. He lived for years and years and years. Can God use him to write scripture? No. He was not taken by wine, nor was he taken by woman. He was taken by meat. Gone. Can God use him to write scripture? No. You have to go through scripture to see on, from God's side, where will I get a man who will listen to me? Finally, he found a guy who was a crook. His name was Jacob. Okay, Jacob, but he finished well. So the second person through whom God speaks literally as scripture, I'm not talking about the other conversations they had. Scripture is in Genesis 49, verse 1 and 2. Jacob called his sons and said, "Gather together that I might tell you what shall befall you in the last days. Gather together and hear you, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father." 49 and 50 are prophecies of Jacob, which is still coming to pass. So this man at the end was sanctified vessel, even to his last day. His God speaks finally through Jacob. You see, his end was not like Noah, Abraham, or Isaac. Then the question always asks is, then why not Joseph? Why didn't God use Joseph to write scripture? I'll tell you, because he married a Gentile and compromised in his marriage. His father. Did not marry a Gentile. His grandfather married Sarah. He could have said, "Pharaoh, I cannot marry the priest's daughter. I am a Hebrew. I'll wait." He compromised in his marriage. He was good. Otherwise, dreams, administration. But post marriage, post marriage, you will see he loses his discernment. Father, this is the eldest. This is the younger. Jacob says, "I know what I am doing." Joseph. You're not able to see what I'm able to see. Be careful. That's what I said. Every gift of God has to be valued. No compromise comes in because we are not running a race on earth. We are running on something absolutely different. So God got Moses at forty, full of himself, absolutely full of himself, with all the doctorates from University of Cairo, University of Alexandria, all that he has, right? You see that was what the Bible says in Acts seven twenty two. He was trained in all the wisdom of Egypt and was mighty in words and deed. And he thought, "I am the cat's whiskers." That's the reason God chose me. God says, "No, honey, you go to the wilderness and sit there for forty years. Let me empty you first." Forty years later, when he is empty, when God says, "You are the one I have spoken," he says, "You, me, I can't speak. I can't go." God says, "You are the right guy." That's how he begins. That's why this man is the one who is picked. Look at Paul's prayer in Ephesians one seventeen, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. This is Paul's prayer. Lord, I want to know you. 
This is my prayer. I want to know you. And he is asking us, pray this prayer. This is the purpose of salvation, that you may know God. Now look at Moses' prayer. You all are thorough with it, but look at Exodus 33. Therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way. That's the same prayer. Lord, I'm putting aside all my university degrees, everything. All I'm asking you is, Lord, teach me your way. Show me your way. Show me who you are. Show me your ways. And then God uses him to write five books of the Bible. Because the kingdom of God cannot be built by compromise or by babies. But incredibly radical men and women who have encountered the king and his kingdom. In Philippians 3 verse 7 and 8, the incredibly scholarly Paul will say, What things were gained to me, these I have counted loss. Indeed, I also count all things. For what loss? For the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Meaning, I will give every university degree for an ounce of the knowledge of God. Because today we don't have men and women of God. You have sociologists and psychologists and historians. and Every other junk has come into the world. Therefore, you ask them, why did you believe this? They will say, no secular culture. Why do you bring secular culture into the word of God? The word of God can stand on its own. It doesn't need any prop. Hermeneutics and hysminutics, I don't know what all they bring into this. This can stand on its own. Absolutely on its own. It is truth. It is the word that framed everything. That's what Hebrews 11, 24 talks about Moses. He, how he left. By faith when Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. When I say your salvation should be radical, scripture is very clear in Corinthians 5, 17. If any man is in Christ Jesus, he say, and all, all have, how do you see yourself? By race? By caste? By your past? By your nationality? By the language you speak? Or do you see your identity in Christ and in the kingdom of God alone? How do you see yourself? How do you see I have no identity except the identity which God has given him. Because when I was born again, I died to something to be born again into something else. You have a separate likings in eating and all. But identity, I'm talking about identity. What's your identity? Moses was absolutely clear. This is my identity. If the Hebrew is who I am, I am not the Pharaoh's nephew. I am a slave. That's my identity. And the God of the slaves is my God. Not all these gods of Egypt. My God is the God of the slaves. My identity is with them. I live with them. I'll die with them. That's your identity. How do you see yourself? Because this is all connected with salvation. A lot of people are not able to grow in their salvation. is because they haven't, they're still playing identity politics. Within the kingdom of God. And Paul was one man uncompromising man. He says, Pharisee of Pharisees, Hebrew of Hebrews, from the tribe of Benjamin, I consider it rubbish. My identity is in Christ and Christ alone. God said, good, I will use you to write scripture. Because your heart and your mind is aligning with me. How do you see yourself? Because this is talking about eternity. 
choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. So he was looking into eternity and not into the temporary, into the unseen. And then esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. So he had an encounter with the living God. He was looking at Christ, not the glory of Christ, but the reproach of Christ. Than the treasures of For he looked to the reward by faith. He forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Where are your eyes today? Where are your eyes today? What are you looking for? That is Moses, who heard from God. Enoch in his age was radical, till the end. That's what Genesis 5.24 says. He heard... And he walked with God till the, and you know, walked with God and he was no more because God, meaning till the last day of his life, he heard from God and he walked and he left. So was Moses. He heard from God at the age of 80 from a burning bush. And you look at his last day recorded in the Bible in Deuteronomy. And Moses went up from the plains of the mob to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is across Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead, as far as Dan, as far as the people who are on the plains, they can only see Moses going up, but Moses is not walking alone up the mountain. God is walking with him. God is speaking to him and showing him the land of the promise. He's walking with God even on his last day. This is the walk to which you and I have been called in the new covenant. And what does scripture say after that? So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of the Moab, according to the word of the Lord, and he buried him. He had gone up alone, and God buried him. This is what God is talking about. This is the call of God. Walk with me. But Hamas will say, can two walk together unless they are agree? How can you agree if you don't hear? Look at the other man which God used. You look at any one of those people who have written, primarily written scripture, you will see this fundamental difference in their lives. Why I'm saying is that in the new covenant, we are all called to be priests and the voice of Christ. Here, 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15, his final letter, Paul. This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Pegasus and Hermes. All the churches I established, they all turned away from faith. They all turned away from me. I'm lying in prison. Nobody's bothered. I'm lying in prison. He said, that's okay. One honesty for a search, search, search found me. And then he writes one final letter. This is the last letter. Timothy, 2 Timothy 4. In my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. Reason? But the? He says, the Lord hasn't for He's standing here beside me because I talk to him every day. He's a living God. It's a living God. Faith is a living reality for the child of God. Everybody has forsaken me. The whole church has forsaken me. But the Lord is standing by me. You have to read scripture very, very, very carefully. Carefully when you have doubts. Like a couple of Sundays back, there was a particular message from a particular church. Everybody listens to. But I want to listen. I want to take you to look at it. You have to read it very, very carefully. You know how Saul of Tarsus met Jesus on the road to Damascus. When he came to Jerusalem, first you know, you have to read Galatians to understand God took him. Took him into the wilderness of Saudi Arabia for three years. Emptied all the intellectual junk out of his head. And f- filled him with the word and sent him out. But when he came out, people wouldn't accept him. 
in Jerusalem. Because they all knew this is the guy who used to persecute Christians. This is what happened in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 9. When Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. It's a real thing. He's come to Jerusalem now. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and how he had spoken of him, how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And they accepted him. That is how he began his journey. Now go further down. They have journeyed from there. I'm just giving you snippets. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek for this later. Okay, And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. The term label Christian comes in Antioch. Then in Antioch, something happens. Read the narrative. You have to go in order, okay? Acts chapter 13. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, and Lucius, Menin, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Okay? Look at the order. Barnabas and Saul. with As the minister to the Lord and faster, the Holy Spirit said, now, separate to me, Barnabas and Saul. So Barnabas is mentioned first, and Saul is mentioned second. Okay? Barnabas and Saul. And verse 3. Then having fasted and prayed, laid hands on them and they sent them away. Acts chapter 13, verse 6 onwards. Something will happen. Now when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the pro-council, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. And this man called for Barnabas and, order is, Barnabas and Saul. To hear the word of God. But Elimas a sorcerer withstood them seeking to turn the pro-council away from faith. Then, narrative shifts. Barnabas is there, the senior man. And Paul, the younger man. Narrative says, now there is occult happening there. There is a false prophet over there. Barnabas is quiet. Paul from the beginning was, he had given his whole heart, mind, soul to God. He would never compromise before anything that is false. Barnabas is quiet. Paul opens his mouth up. Saul also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, Oh, full of deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all unrighteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? Do you see that? Now read verse 13. Now when Paul and his party said, say, Barnabas, now it is Paul and his party, not Barnabas and his party. Sometimes you do not realize. Some of the times when you take a stand for God and nobody sees but God sees, the narrative changes in heaven. Thousands and thousands of sons of Judah came to Babylon, but one man stood before a dinner table and made a decision in his heart and the narrative changes. Daniel purposed in his heart, I will not defile myself. The narrative on earth and the narrative in heaven is completely different. The narrative in heaven is connected with those who do not compromise. The narrative changes. Verse 42. So when the Jews went out of synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words may be preached to the next Sabbath too. Okay. Uh, 14.1. Not Barnabas and Paul. 14.3. Paul and Barnabas. 14.23. Paul and Barnabas appointed. Did you see the narrative changing? 15 verses 1 to 3. 
some men came down from Judea to Antioch were teaching brothers unless you are. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem. You see the narrative changes? It's a man who refused to compromise. And then he will stand against anybody. He will stand against the pro-council because some believers, the problem is when they see big politicians and people in power, they will try to curry some favor. That is Barnabas. Paul doesn't care whether you are Felix Agrippa or a pro-council. The word of God will not change according to man. John the Baptist also was like, to the people who will say, repent, the Pharisees will brood of vipers, why have you come? These are people who would never compromise the word of God. I'm not saying you should be hostile. I'm saying you don't compromise on the word of God. He never compromised. And Barnabas was a compromiser. If you have doubts, read Galatians chapter 3 verses 11 to 15. Some men came, Galatians 2. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Can you imagine if you were a junior, 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 most apostle, you opposed that big guy who walked with Jesus? But he did because he was in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by the hypocrisy, even Barnabas... You have to read very carefully scripture to see how people act under pressure. Under pressure. Pressure can be different things. Can be family, can be society, can be politics, can be all these narratives. But God cannot, he will use those people for different, but God cannot use those people to bring forth scripture. Bring forth scripture. That's why almost one third of the New Testament is written by the doctrine of the kingdom of God is established by God through Paul. From Romans all the way till I believe even the book of Hebrews. Nobody knows who wrote it but I believe he wrote it. Question is why would God use a man who was not one of the original apostles who lived with Jesus because he was a radical I like the word radical, though it it means something else today. Because he never saw his identity apart from Christ. Because we see at least some part of our identity with the world. And God says, no, I will use you, but I cannot use you the way I should use you. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 to 14. Why I am telling you this? Yes, I think it is right. As long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that, shortly, I must... What does it mean? What does it mean? God could use Peter in ministry, but could use him to write scripture only at the end of his life before death. Is that how you want your life to end? He couldn't use him to write scripture. Yet he should have written scripture. It should have been the epistle of Peter to the church in Rome, the church in Galatia, church in... It should have been all been Peter. God is not a respecter of persons. He's up there, get all his crowns and all. But Paul was a man who was different. Moses was a man who was different. And God says, you can be different. In chapter 3, and verse 15 and 16 of the same epistle, and consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, ah, Peter is writing in his last letter, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. And as also in all his 
epistle speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand which is untaught which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the you didn't get it peter has learned about the jesus christ with whom he walked from the epistles of paul the epistles of paul has become scripture when peter is living and he's studying the letters of paul to understand who is the jesus with whom i walked that's the call of god he says it's become scripture and i have read his epistles and he says i don't understand because compromises will define it difficult to understand this god because our god never changes he is not a man that he should lie there is not a bone in him which will compromise about his holiness or his love or his righteousness and then god says become that don't look at the world as your friend it's your enemy you have when you read scripture you have to realize that i was showing pastor vijay that we sit in the church office and talk no i was telling him you look at any attribute of god in the bible mercy loving kindness patience love grace you know what is attached to all of that truth teach me according to your mercy and truth your loving kindness and truth grace and truth love and everything is attached because if truth is not attached your kindness is false your love is false That's why Ephesians 5:4:15 will say speak that speak the truth in love because most of us our love is not true. Behold what behold manner of love the father has given unto us, right? My love is not true, your love is not true. The only love that can be true is the love that the father has given unto us. But scripture says if any man loves the world or things of this world the love of the father is not in him. Then how can my love be true? we are not just preaching against the world we are preaching for the father friendship with the world is enmity towards god so my love is not true can never be true the only love that is true is god's love and god says that's the love which i want to give you and that love never compromises with truth because that love says outside of truth you cannot be saved what saved you james 1:18 you are born again by the word of truth what sets you free he who abides in the truth shall be free remember the five pillars god is truth i'll ask your references now classroom isaiah 65 16 john 14:6 jesus said i am the way the uh, john uh, 16:13 when the spirit of truth and then lord sanctify us by the truth your word is truth his word is truth four fifth first timothy 315 what is that what is the church the pillar and the foundation of truth that's what we have supposed to be we are not talking about salvation here we are talking about something which you will gain there how you grow in your salvation in psalm 24 and verse 4 david prayed teach me your ways show me your paths did he pray 25 right yeah i think it's 25 what is his prayer lord teach me your ways show me who you are teach me who you are i'm not talking about all the other stuff in this world i want to know who you are teach me your ways what did god use him to write 76 of the 150 psalms did he write scripture yes His son, when he was young, God came in a dream and says, "Ask what 
you all. We would have asked for Gadi, Makan, Ammo, what all, name it, claim it, my name is Jimmy, give me, give me, give me. I know what you would have asked, right? What did he ask? Wisdom. Did you write Proverbs? Concise 31 chapters about how God thinks. Even when he went rogue, when he comes back, does he write the book of Ecclesiastes telling us how not to go wrong? Because in his youth, he said, I want to know you, your wisdom. Look at the people who have written scripture. They were not afraid to ask God, we want to know you. Don't be afraid to ask. First Samuel chapter 3 and verse 19. Another young boy growing up. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. None of his words fall to the ground. I like the next. It is in two different chapters. No, no. Uh, 21. You have to go to verse 21. 321 first and 4-1. That is the order in which comes. It's unbelievable order. I show this especially to pastors, servants of God who preach. Yeah, 321 and 4-1. Yeah, give it to me, 3.21. And the word of the Lord came to Samuel. That's what it says. Right? And the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. God revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And 4.1 says, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. That's how it should be. If God hasn't revealed himself to me early in the morning, I cannot reveal him to you. If God doesn't reveal himself to you, when you go into the world, you cannot reveal him to the world. This is salvation. We are not witnesses of ourselves. We are witnesses of his glory in us. We are his witnesses. And that's what God is saying. Do you understand what the new covenant is? And today the crisis is because there is crisis both at the pulpit and in the congregation. People don't want to encounter this God. They all want to see what his hands will give them. And Moses stood before God and said, Lord, show me thy ways. People said, show us your works. And Psalm 103, verse 7, very familiar, but let's read it again. What a scripture says, he made known his ways to Moses and he deeds to the people. You have to ingrain these all into your heads. You will be misunderstood. It is okay. Moses was misunderstood by everybody. His wife, his brother, his sister, his elders, the entire congregation. It did not make a difference to him because till the last day God walked with him. The walk with God caused Enoch on earth his entire family and household. Yet he walked with God till the very end and God took him alive. That's what God says. Did you count the cost of discipleship? Like Bonhoeffer wrote, that's one of my handbooks, Cost of Discipleship. I thank God when I just knew God 30 years ago, the books he gave me to read was, imagine a 19, 20-year-old guy reading Bonhoeffer who has not gone to church, never read his Bible. Richard Wumbrand, Bonhoeffer, Watchman Nee. I just thank God. Lord, you just engraved your soul into my heart before I could have gone rogue with all these other doctrines. Bonhoeffer would say, God, Christ bids every man to come to him and die, then live. At the age of 39, he was hung by the Nazis for preaching. 39 years old, he didn't even complete 40 years. 
April 5th, 1949, uh, 1945, just a few weeks before the Americans overthrew the Nazis, they hung him. His book, the handbook for men of God today, the cost of discipleship. These were men, when you reach eternity, you will see who framed God's kingdom on earth. So it didn't matter whether it was the age of the patriarchs or whether it was the age of the law or of the age of grace. One thing never changed. Man had to hear God's voice. Only those men could make a difference. And one of the last verses of the Bible too in Revelation 22 and verse 17 is the spirit and the bride says come and let him who hears say come and let him who thirsts Come, who are desires, let him come. Take the water of life, but you have to hear. Who is saying the spirit and the? Is telling the others. Meaning on earth, every generation, God had a set of believers who are part of the bride. They always heard. What is God actually saying? The spirit and the bride have one testimony, hear and obey. And they're telling the rest of them, who are the brides, bridesmaids, and all the various characters. Everybody is thinking rapture, it will be captured. You have to read scripture carefully. That's why the teaching of the word of God is so, so important. So, so important. They heard and they spoke. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, scripture says, and did not spare the ancient world and saved Noah, one of the eight people who are see. It's a preacher of righteousness. He could have told them, now all golf, get into the boat, you know what? He should not have spoken about judgment. He should have said, get into the boat. Uh, later, we are going to a new world, and in the new world, we will have big farms, and we can build big houses. And we... He could have told, he didn't tell that. He said, repent and get in. He was a preacher. He was a preacher of righteousness. Yet in that same verse 7 and 8 scripture says, And delivered righteous Lord who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked for the righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless. He is called righteous but he never opened his mouth. He never spoke because he has already compromised by living among them. And some people are not able to speak because they have already compromised by living with them. They are tormented in their soul, but they like that company. They are tormented. When they come to church, it is not encouraging, it is torment for them. That was Lot. Who won't leave Sodom? His uncle Abraham, his nephew Isaac, and Jacob, scripture says, by faith lived in the land of promise in tents. Because they were looking for a city which did not have foundations. So therefore lived in this land in tents like strangers and pilgrims. While Uncle Lot has built his big house and staying in Sodom. Compromised. God could not use him to save anybody. The people of the town laughed at him. Said you get out of the way or we will do to you worse. His sons-in-law mocked him when he talked about judgment. His wife looked back and perished. And his daughters got him drunk and made him impregnate them. Price of compromise. Yet he's a righteous man. Believed enough to save himself. He didn't believe enough to save his family. That's the price of compromise. That's why I told two leadership 
is revealed when Moses is upon the mountain. Moses goes up the mountain, standing in the presence of God, 40 days getting the law, the revelation of God's character. Here is a set of people who have no encounter with God. All hawa hai, pura hawa, these people. They will say, where is that fellow gone? Oh, Aaron, make us a God that will go before us. Look at this fellow Aaron, his elder brother who has never encountered God, only seen his power, will change the image of the living God into the shape of Gone. That's where it began. The issue is this. I keep telling them. Abraham at the time of famine feared instead of faith. Went into Egypt. Told, lied to his wife. Told his wife to tell you are my sister. Went into Egypt. Compromised God in his mighty hand. Brought him out. The problem is he came back to the altar and put himself right. But when he went in, somebody else went in with him. Who is that? Lot went in. But Lot never comes to an altar. So when Lot is given a choice, you need to see how compromise takes place. It's so beautiful in the Bible. When Lot is given a choice because there is conflict, Abraham says, we are brothers. You choose first, take whichever land. Scripture says he lifted up his eyes and he saw the land like the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Egypt. Like Egypt. You see, you bring the kingdom of God and the kingdom of all Saman Hogia in the eyes of the compromiser. It's the same. It is like the Garden of Eden and it is like the land of Egypt, the place of Sodom. And he chose Sodom. How do you see? How do you see stuff in this world? That's why Jesus asked the simple people. What to eat, what to drink, what to wear. Isn't life more than food? Is body more than clothes? When you put on something, have you ever thought about, Lord, if I wear this, one day will I come to under judgment? If I eat this, is it going to be a stumbling block? What does Romans 14.23 says? What does 14.23 says? If anyone eats with doubt, he has sinned. Isn't it simple? Any man who has doubts is condemned if he eats. Because his eating is not from... Is he eating from faith? Is it from faith? Faith comes from? And hearing from the? Simple thing. Everybody eats every day. God says, can you eat by faith? There is healing in this. There is power in this. There is the power of the kingdom flowing into it. Can you eat by faith? And whatever, everything that does not come faith is? Ah. That is the definition of sin for a believer. If what I do does not arise from faith, it is sin. It is sin. That is sin. That's why we repent every day. That's what God is talking about. So Abraham went into Egypt. He came back. Lot went with him. He came back. One surrendered at the cross. The other did not. That's the problem. Aaron problem, the issue is that Aaron, a poor fellow, had no strength at all. He made all this. Later he changes. He becomes a man of God. You know he becomes a man of God. There is plague in the camp. And God's death, row after row after row of people are falling dead. Moses is crying out to the Lord. Moses cannot make intercession because Aaron is the... High priest, he says, Aaron, run, run, may bring fire. He runs to the holy place. He brings the fire and he stands in the middle of death and the death stops. He becomes a man of God. But the problem is, is the people have fallen. They will never come back. 
That's the problem. Price others will pay. Psalm 106 verse 16. I'm not, I will prove every word I say from scripture. Psalm 106 verse, we know 15. He gave them what they asked, but he sent leanness into their soul. But verse 16. In the camp they grew envious of Moses and Aaron who was consecrated to the Lord. I like NIV. The NIV translation of this is very interesting. It's a very eye-opening translation. You got it? This is NIV? Oh, my NIV says the saint, Aaron, the saint of God. Yeah, when they envied Moses in the camp and Aaron, that's how he finished. You have to look at Aaron, finished well. He finished well. But God is saying a generation will arise. Who knows their God? He spoke that centuries ago through Daniel. And I want you to, at least some of you, to be part of that generation who says, I'm young, I've heard early, and I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to compromise. So God is asking us today, what is your confidence? Because eternity is not a joke. It is just a breath away. And ignorance, ignorance can kill you. That's the primary weapon the devil uses to kill, to steal, to destroy. Jesus said, be aware, aware of deception. Aware of deception. God, now we will leave planet earth and move into the next realm, okay, for a few minutes. Let's go into the next realm. Revelation 21, verse 1 and 2. So that you get your eyes focused. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had Passed away. All this will pass away. And there was no more sea. Hallelujah. I hate the sea. You guys may like the beach. Go to a river and sit there. I don't like the sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, come down of the heaven from God, prepared as the bride adorned for a husband. So you have new heaven, new earth, and a new city. That's not all. In the new city, that is New Jerusalem, there is that See, this is, you don't see in the physical. If you see in the physical, you cannot understand this. So just, uh, in Shakespeare, we call it a willing suspension of disbelief. Okay? You just have to have a uh, cinematic view. Okay? It's a different realm. So you have new heavens, new earth, new city. And in that new city, Revelation 14.1 is the peak. Peak, not at the physical peak, but it's a different realm altogether. And I looked and behold, lamb standing on Mount Zion. Mount Zion is the peak of Jerusalem, spiritual peak of Jerusalem on Mount Zion, where I saw the lamb and 140, because you can think about it. How can 144,000 plus Jesus stand on the peak? So it's a realm. Okay, so it's not just three places. There is a fourth place also. And I'm absolutely sure Paul is there. Okay, I'm not even trying to run for that. I'm trying to get in somewhere close. Okay? Look at words 4 and 5. Don't read it all literally. Okay? These are the ones who were not defiled with women. That doesn't mean only men are there. Women here means false doctrine. The woman riding the beast. The last. You see the woman riding the beast all over the world. Especially in the western world. Which shapes up everything. It's feminism which is on the rise. The Jezebel spirit. The woman riding the beast. Finally the beast will throw her down and trample her and devour her. That's going to end up like that. Everywhere. Okay? Now, defile themselves with all these ideas, ideologies, every ism you're talking about is a false doctrine. 
The Bible calls it the doctrine of the devil as opposed to doctrine of Christ. Okay? They had not defiled themselves with this when it came to their minds, their thoughts, their hearts, their perversions. They purified themselves with the doctrine of Christ. These were the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits to God and to the Lamb. This is the bride. Yes, that is the bride. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault, blameless before the throne of God. Okay? Because you need to look at eternity and ask, what are you running for? Without fault, blameless. These are the ones who allowed on earth the word of God to do its complete work in them. In Ephesians 5 verses 25 to 27, this is, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church, gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, and that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but she should be holy without. That's, he will get it. He will get one group like that. Absolutely sure. The word will not go void. From all these 2000 centuries, he will have a set of people who have become what he wanted them to become. That is why Paul says marriage is a mystery. And Jesus is the first, second husband. Adam is the first husband. Adam died with his wife in sin. Jesus died for his wife or her sin. Adam is not like Ananias and Sapphira who died together in sin. Okay? Understand the difference. What's the purpose? It. This is Paul's Burden. That's why this man is so, so different. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 and 3. Purpose. I am zealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I feared somehow as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Okay? Now, you have to understand this. You're talking about a spiritual truth. This Corinthian church is a messed up church, but he says you can become the bride of Christ. That's what the blood and the word can do and the spirit can do. I want to offer you like that. A chaste virgin to Christ. Absolutely. And on Revelation 14, you see they are no deceit. They are blameless before God because they have allowed the word to work in their life. Their eyes were on, fixed on the unseen and upon Christ. Do you see that? Now look at Paul's first... Okay, let me ask your IQ. Which was Paul's first letter? Pastor Vijay. Let's smack you. First letter, Dr. Richard, you are also a Bible student. Huh? Which is the first letter he wrote? Thessalonians, the letters to the test. Not Romans, not Corinthians, not Galatians, Ephesians. Which is his first letter? First. And last letter? Second Timothy. Look, look at what he wrote in his first letter. First Thessalonians 5. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. When he's writing his first letter to the church, his zeal is still the same. Let the word of God, let God sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. Because his spirit is so aligned to the spirit of God, he is able to see man as God sees. Because God being a spirit sees my spirit first, my soul first and my body at the end. And he says, let your spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless at the time of Jesus coming. This is his first letter. 
Look at his last letter, sitting in prison where everybody has left him, writing a letter to Timothy who is far away writing to him. It's cold over here. Bring my coat and bring my parchments. But in that letter, look what he writes. In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good. Has his zeal changed? First place, he says, God will do it. Second place, he will say, you have to do it. You have to put it together. God will not bend my will. I have to bend my will to his will. He will do it. And I have to do it. That's the gospel inside the church. This is the purpose. Jesus died so that he may have a bride. This is the purpose. Unless we see it, we will miss it. I'm not going to let go of you. I'm going to finish my sermon, then let off you. Because unless you see scripture in the light of how it is preached and written. Acts chapter 26, 17 and 18. I deliver you from the Jewish people as from the Gentiles to open your eyes in order to turn them from darkness to power of Satan to God. He always saw it as light and darkness. Darkness and light. One is darkness, one is light. Okay? Peter will say in 2.9, you are a, yeah, next one. You are a chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, his own special people. He called you out of darkness into his light. God uses all this darkness and light. In eternity, now see it in terms of light, okay? Now, if you actually see it in light, let us see this is the only light. It's night. We are all sitting in this hall. It's absolutely dark. This is the only light. Where is it brightest? Here. And the further you go away from here, the light decreases. It becomes lesser and lesser and lesser and lesser and lesser. And certain point it is like darkness and light are like mixed. And further and further and further you go, it gets darker and darker and darker. In the new creation, the epicenter will be Jerusalem, Zion. Look at what Bible says in Revelation 21, 23 to 4. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of the God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. It's not sun. Jesus is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. This is spiritual. The further away you are from, you go further, further, further. So you are not only running a race for, you're not running for your salvation. You're running for a place in light. Where in the light will you be? Matthew 8, 12. Remember the centurion, Jesus came to the centurion and said, Lord, my servant, Jesus, he just said, I will come. He said, you don't have to come. I have a man under authority. I tell him, go, he goes. Come, he comes. Jesus said, Wow. He said, you only have to speak your word. Jesus said, I have not found faith like this in this Israel. That's the context. He says, I have not found, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into, ah, where is outer darkness? It is here, where the light and the darkness is starting to mix. Who are these? Did they walk in faith? No. Are they in darkness? No. Are they in light? No. They're at the outer fringe. That's why I said ignorance is a very dangerous thing. Matthew 8, 22, 13. This is the wedding feast. And there was one fellow without the wedding dress. The king said, hey, hello, hello. Jyoti, how did you reach here? Your name is Jyoti, but where's your wedding dress? 
And the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness, where there is weeping and gnashing. Now you go to Revelation 19. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saint. One fellow got into the party. He had no acts. He had no works of faith. God said, how did you get in here? What's the proof of your salvation? Where's your garment? Where's your garment? Remember, Jesus sits and says, he divides nations and said, you come into my, because you did, did, did. He said, Lord, when you, he said, when you did this, you were doing it to me. This fellow got in without the garment. And where is he cast out? Out of darkness. Matthew 25, 30. This is the parable of the talents. That one fellow who hid it, now he is not a son of the kingdom. He is a servant of the kingdom. Pastor, hey, Admi. Or it could be any one of us. Cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. Not unrighteous. How much did the master give him? One. How much did he give back? Did he gamble? Did he drink? Did he waste? He gave one. He gave back. What God called him? Are you profitable? Are you profitable? Will you one day be profitable for the king? Because he paid your and my salvation with his blood. Life. He poured out his spirit upon us. And he's given his own word to us. And he's given us 24 hours a day. And he says, be profitable. Where is he? Out of darkness. Last words for today. Then there is one set of people, Bible, God, abhors. From the beginning till the end. These are false preachers and false teachers. And Jude doesn't mince words when it comes to them. Woe to them for they have gone in the way of Cain. Rebellion. Where is your brother? I'm my brother's keeper. You have killed your brother and you are saying I'm my brother's keeper. The way of Cain. Absolute rebels. Then run greedily in the error of Balaam. Who, who, for whom ministry is only about making money. And perish in the rebellion of Korah. Who made you head over us? Only Are you only holy? We are all holy. These are spots in your love feast. While they feast with you without fear. Serving only themselves. They are clouds without water. Carried about by the winds. Late autumn trees without fruit. Twice dead. Pulled up by the roots. And raging waves of the sea. Forming up their own shame. Wandering stars for whom is received. Not out of darkness. Blackness of darkness. There is another area of darkness where it is absolutely pitch dark. This is spiritual, children. This is spiritual. This is not outer darkness. This is the blackness of darkness is reserved for them. So there is the epicenter of life. To the nation shall walk in that light. To outer darkness. And all the way to blackness of darkness. And then has say. Oh, I, I, did I say final words? Should I have one more final words? I say 66, which I gave you on Wednesday. Even, yeah, 22. Even in eternity, God will have a reminder for all those who are saved and walking in the light. 
And for as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And then, and it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to me to worship before me, says the Lord. And they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me, for the worms does not die and the fire is not quenched. They shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. All the saved, all the redeemed in the new creation also will be able to see hell. The lake of fire. Shall see. And some of that could be your own flesh and blood and friends. Because he said, you were not profitable. You are so busy building your mansion on earth, you forgot to get your people in. You forgot the purpose of salvation. That's why we come back. Jesus say, fix your eyes on Christ Jesus. Fix your eyes on Christ Jesus. Your mind, your thoughts, your hearts on the unseen and not on the seen. Because if you look on the seen, you will get distracted. We don't work for money. We work for God. We work for God. We all have a purpose. That's why he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Otherwise, we'll become a compromising generation where we are so blinded that we have no power to react. Let me ask you this question. I asked you last Sunday and the previous Sunday too. When in the United States, the past three weeks ago, when two of the states passed this legislation where late-term babies can be aborted, yeah, final trimester, even while delivery, post-delivery, they can be aborted in North Virginia. Do you see a ripple in the church in America? I'm telling you of the zealous of a man, religious man who doesn't know truth. You touch a cow in India, do the crowds come out? You can kill babies in America, the church doesn't react. Did they, they call for a day of mourning? Did they call for a day of prayer? Nobody is bothered. That's what happens to up people who have taken their eyes of God. These things don't move them. Don't move them. You don't look at what the system is doing. The system will do that. That's what the Bible says. Any antichrist says this thing, come, he'll change the laws. The problem is not with the law. The problem is my reaction. The problem is with my reaction. How do we react? Do you hear from pulpits? Three or four, five people or six people stood with placards. One shop closed down in New York. That's the only reaction you got in a nation which claims 150 million go to church. That's one nation where Christians can define the law. And they have no voice. Why? Absolutely compromised. They have not seen the truth of God. And we hurt here. Where the governor has the gumption to say after the baby is still born, the mother and the doctor can decide whether it should live or not. I call it murder. Why? Because our conscience has gone. Because... Subtly through the pulpit, our eyes were taken off Christ and the kingdom to the world and the prosperity in the world. That's why God tells about Jeshurun, that is Israel. I fed you with good things. You grew fat and you turn around and kicked your maker. Kicked your maker. You lost your conscience. You react. Don't lose your conscience, children. At least in your prayer closet, you should cry out. These are the real issues that matter to God. He's not bothered about the other issues. He looks at you and says, you are not bothered. As long as somebody's children. No, it's God's children. Before Moses was born, 
Before the deliverer could come to Egypt, they murdered the babies. When Jesus was born, they murdered the babies in Bethlehem. Now the babies are being murdered all around the world by legislation. What does it tell you? That is coming very soon. Very soon. Whenever mass scale murder of babies take place, you know God will not wait. He will move. Something drastic is going to happen. Get into your prayer closets. And pray about issues that are very serious to God and not to you and me. What are issues serious to me and is laughing matter in heaven? But what are issues serious to God is what our heart should break. These are issues that are serious. Serious issues. When systems light up monuments to celebrate that thing. When the White House was lit up in rainbow colors when homosexuality was legalized. We don't celebrate those things. And I heard a preacher say, India, conservative India, with the conservative party ruling India, homosexuality has been legalized. This is true. It's been legalized. Right? It's God changed. That's what ignorance does. Ignorance can kill us. I'm telling you, political ignorance can kill you. Any nation. In India, ignorance. You know the party that is ruling, hoping to win again, was a party which never participated in India's freedom struggle. They actually sided with the British and ruling us now. Do you know the party that is controlling the Congress in America? When slavery was abolished in America, there was 4 million African-American slaves. Every slave was owned by a Democrat and not a Republican. Not a single Republican ever owned a slave. But the Democrats are the ones who African-Americans vote for. Why? Absolute ignorance. Who are the ones we vote for? For the very ones who sided with those who ruled us. Ignorance can kill you in this world and the next. Be literate, children. Be literate. Know your history. Know your leaders. Above all, know God and his word. Even if you don't understand much of Indian history, it doesn't matter. At least know God's history. He never changes. His ways never change. This is the truth. That's how ignorance has killed and destroyed nations. Amen? I got two minutes to close. We shall stand and we shall pray. My job is not to keep you comfortable, but to turn you so that you will go into your prayer closet and cry out to the Lord. Speak to me, Lord. Make me a vessel. Give me a burden. Now that you have been gifted with tongues, use that to Allow the Holy Spirit to unburden His burden through us. Pray for things that matter to the kingdom of God. Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. Oh, Father, we just thank you. We just thank you, Lord. Your word says through Peter, Lord, all these things which the saints, the apostles, the prophets of ancient days longed to see, but they could not understand. You opened for us. To us, the new covenant people. Let us not be casual about the truth of God's word, Lord. Let us not be, Lord. Let us not forget the history of your people. The saints, the word says, the cloud of saints that have gone before us, who paid with their blood and their lives to reach the word to us. We want to be part of that history. And they did it because they saw the unseen. Like Moses, they saw him who was invisible. 
and turned their back to the treasures of this world and took the reproach of Christ. And I pray, Father, from everyone who heard the word today and over the days, Lord, through the internet, as tens and thousands in different nations start hearing, Father, I pray, will arise a set of people who will say, Lord, here I am. I believe and I surrender. It's about you, Lord. It's about your kingdom. And it's about you. It's not about me. It's not about my life on earth. It's about you. The rest of my life, oh Lord, let each one surrender in the closet and say, I want to give it over to you. Wherever you put me in whatever job, whatever place, it will be about you. I have counted the cost and I'm willing to pay the price. Send me, Lord. Let that be the prayer that arises from prayer closets, Lord. All those who have been gifted with supernatural tongues, oh God, let them give themselves over in their prayer time in surrender to the Holy Spirit to cry out for issues that concern heaven, Lord. Not our teeny-weeny issues, Lord. Make us into a praying church. Make us into a believing church. Make us into an uncompromising church who will lift the word above all our situations. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. You brought us through this month. Another three days, and a new month begins. Go before us, Lord. Once again, we pray, as Paul prayed, and as Moses prayed, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. And teach us your ways, O Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. By faith that the word of God that we have heard and believed has sanctified us, we lift up holy hands, And we bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. And we confess, O Lord, thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever, O Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.